0: Here in this place. Good morning. Have a seat <clears throat> as our children leave. Bye, dupes. Happy birthday to Boston. <laughs> the big four year old B. Don't call him Boston. He is called B now. Uh, so, the last uh, three actually, three years that we've been together as a church, we've celebrated Christmas by studying. Advent and uh, Advent really just means the coming or waiting expectantly for a coming. And uh, so, I want to talk this morning about our Advent. We have been connecting with uh, with Christ and and His first coming to the earth. But this morning, I want us to to kind of get our attention off of off of that day, off of Christmas, off of yesterday, and what we celebrated then, and on to the, the second coming. Um, we, have, we have an Advent book, and some of them are back there. If you want to grab one before you leave, uh, feel free to, to do that. Um, but in that Advent book, uh, there's a preface there that kind of lets us know what, what really Advent is all about. It says, thousands of years ago, <clears throat> during the time the Old Testament was written, God spoke to His people through prophets. Prophets were people chosen by God To communicate truth about God, revealing his character and his love to his people. When Jesus was born, these prophets had been silent for more than 400 years. Think about that concept that all throughout the course of history, since the beginning of time, God has placed prophets into the world to speak to his people. And at the time of Christ's birth, those prophets had been silent for 400 years. That's a really long time, right? And so these people were, were va- waiting very expectantly because they had the, the words and their fathers and stories had been told to them about this long-awaited awaited one that was coming, and they were really waiting expectantly for that because there had been such silence. The second part of that talks about what was happening in the lives of God's people in those days. God's people had no autonomy and were being ruled by Rome. The people were lost, oppressed, And they lacked hope. But God's plan was to send his son to redeem the world. His plan was to bring hope, joy, peace, and love to the world. And those are the themes we've been talking about for the last three years, for the four weeks leading up to Christmas. Hope, joy, peace, and love. His plan was to demonstrate his love by sending his son to the world as a baby. So we've looked, for three years, we've looked back at and try to connect with what these people would have been thinking, what had been going on in their lives as they waited with expectation and anticipation for what was to come. And then Christ breaks into the world, but he does it as a, a baby born into a dirty, dingy barn to teenage parents and under, amidst a bunch of scandals. So there was humility written all over Christ. Poverty written all over Christ when he came. And it's very ironic that the king of the world, God himself in the flesh, would come to the earth as this tiny little baby born to peasant teenage parents and a dingy barn. But the coming that I want us to, to focus on and center on today is a totally, completely different coming. And, and I've, I've thought this is probably well titled, this is our advent, Christ born in the manger was the advent of God's people 2,000 years ago. This is the advent for us to wait. And, and I don't mean to say that, that Christ's coming has no impact on our lives, because obviously it has massive impact on our lives. But the thing that we, in 2010 December, wait expectantly for, that's what advent means, waiting for a coming. That's our advent is the second coming of Christ. And I think if we do this well and look to Scripture well, it changes so much of how we interact with each other, how we interact with the world. And more than anything, it changes our focus on this planet. So I want to walk us through five things As we look for our appointed, our promised one, and set our minds on Christ and His return and not on ourselves. Today, let's study our Advent. Five things about the coming. First, um, it will be brilliant. The second coming of Christ will be brilliant. And and I want you to, to try and... That's a very contextualized word. When we hear the word brilliant, sometimes we think of really smart people or we think of uh, something in that context. But when I say brilliant, I mean it's, it's amazing, something we've never seen before, breathtaking, that we see. Um, Luke seventeen twenty four, talking about the moment when Christ returns. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. Okay, let's kind of take that apart. There's some beautiful imagery and a a metaphor that's there. Christ's return is like lightning. And it's not just his return. Christ himself, if if you read the, look at that verse, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Christ is like lightning. The first time he came, tiny little baby, born in a dirty barn to teenage parents. This time, the thing that best relates to who he will be and what he will look like is lightning. And think of the brilliance of lightning, a completely dark sky. Have you ever been driving in the middle of the country and you see this huge bolt of lightning? Not just one bolt, but like lights up the entire sky. It's two in the morning driving through the country and, and it's like daylight for just a second. That's Christ in his coming. There's, there's brilliance of light there's brilliance of power. There's, there's brilliance of, of, of so much to, to think that this is Christ. Um, but the second thing, it will be quick. And here's the thing uh, about this one. The, these next two that I'm going to get to are, are filled with, with some pretty difficult and violent language. Um, and, and I, I pray... I've prayed this week and I pray in this moment that it would shock us. And, and oh my gosh. Luke 17, 26. The, listen to the, the violence and the, the harsh reality of the violence. And, and hear those words, the reality of the violence that was and is to come. Luke 20, 17, 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. So he's relating this return to the days of Noah. And again, whenever I talk about Noah, I want you to get pipe cleaners and children's toys off your mind because it was a vicious, awful day. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage. In other words, they were just going about living their lives as if they were the center of the universe. The people in the day of Noah just walking around living their lives. And for us, that, that ought to resonate with us. We would just walk around living our lives, worrying about what is happening to us, worrying about our circumstances, worrying about what's going on in our worlds. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage. We can connect with that. You ought to be able to connect with that. Until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. This is what it will be like in the day of the Son of Man. Again, forget the children's toys and, and the, the zoo animals and understand that Noah looked over the, the edge of his boat and watched his, his neighbors and his friends in agony as they were drowning and dying. So it will be in the, sun, in the days of the Son of Man. It's, it's not a pretty picture. And destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot... They were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. More evidence, just going about their day, just doing life. Wake up at 7 in the morning, take a shower, get the kids to school, go to work, come home, have some dinner, do it all over again. Working, planting, building, doing, life just going on and happening. Focused on what's going on in our lives. Verse 29. But on the day when Lot went out of Sodom... You remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, a lot left, and then God allowed fire and sulfur to be rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. It will be quick and it will be vicious. And I want us to connect with that. And I want this language and what's happening that Noah. And the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is what it will be like when Christ returns. I want that to shock us into a very present and very potential reality that in the midst of of this message this morning, this could all happen. That it's, it's, it's imminent. It could be imminent. It could be today. It could be in tomorrow. But for us to shock us, get our minds off of ourselves, get our minds off of the... Eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building and more direction to to our purpose, to our mission, to why God has called us to here. Get our minds focused on Him and His coming and off of ourself. The third thing, and this is where it gets even more vicious. He will be as He will return as a warrior judge. Um, again, Christmas, a baby born to poor teenagers in a dirty barn, our advent. Christ is here as a warrior judge. Get your your mind off of this, this sweet little you probably had this picture in, in your in your living room or did when you grew up. This Jesus. This is not like his hands out with a sad look on his face and his his it's it's not pretty at all. This is a violent warrior Christ. And let's Second Thessalonians one. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Again, our religion and our culture art, when we think of an angel, we think of you know, feathery wings and sweet, gentle brightness, white. This is some beautiful like fairy with wings or something. This is not what these angels are. The mighty angel is a warrior. These are the people that are coming to fight this battle with Christ. And, and think through the, the viciousness of that. Get your mind off of what you think an, an angel is and get it onto this is the warriors fighting with Christ. Verse 8 helps you get more specific about it. In flaming fire... These angels are not beautiful, brilliant, white beings that you, you, you drew in, in grade school. These are flaming with fire, inflicting vengeance. These phrases are, if, if you just think through them, these, the purpose that these angels are coming to this earth is to inflict the vengeance of the Lord. This isn't the angel visiting Mary saying, you're going to have a baby. This is an angel whose purpose is to come and kill. And this is what's happening on the second coming of Christ. On those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, this is, this is big and heavy and weighty. That On that day, the second coming of Christ, we've just celebrated the first coming of Christ in a dirty barn baby born to teenage peasant parents. And now here, the second coming of Christ. He's coming with, with angels that are on fire, destroying and killing people who do not obey the gospel. There's some... I'd like to see, like some modern day director make this film. This would be brilliant to see this, this vicious inflicting of vengeance that's happening. Verse 9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Eternal destruction, suffering, punishment. And now here we're going to understand what this is talking about. This is the definition of hell. Away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His might. Ultimately, all hell is, is a place that has no effect coming from good. It's only being affected by evil. Here on this planet, we are being affected by evil and being affected by good. In heaven, we're only affected by good. In hell, you're only affected by evil. And on this day, they will only be affected by evil. They will be in eternal destruction. That's a a big word, eternal. Eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord, and from the glory of His might. A very real, very physical place. Verse 10, When He comes on that day to be glorified with His saints and to be marveled at among all who believed because our testimony to you was believed. Revelation 6 says, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free, there is No one on the earth on this day that will not be affected by this. Everyone, slave and free, they hid themselves in caves among the rocks of the mountains. Get past the fact that you're you're reading Scripture here and just visualize that. Every person on the earth begging for some place to hide from this wrath that's being rained down upon them. Everyone. Hiding in caves among the rocks of the mountains. And they're calling out, Fall on us. They're begging the mountains to fall on us. Kill me, please. I don't want to feel this vengeance anymore. And hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. I love that phrase, wrath of the Lamb. When we think of Christ and we think of the Lamb, we think of, you know, the sweet little white Lamb. This is the wrath of the Lamb. And these people who are experiencing it are begging, stop, stop, end my pain. This is what's coming, Christ as the warrior judge. Verse 17, for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Second Thessalonians 2.8. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing the appearance of his coming. The breath of his mouth. This is Christ. The one that we just celebrated and sweet, gentle, and we gather around a Christmas tree and and think about love and think about family and whatever. The second coming of this Christ, this is what's going to happen. But the good news, the last two things for us that are part of of this Advent that that we will wait with anticipation for. The the fourth thing is it will be as our blessed hope. All the the bad stuff is gone. Now let's talk about who he is to us as our blessed hope. Titus 2.13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Man, just shut my voice out. Read those words and breathe in deep. Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Blessed hope is a very religious term. I want to I define it for so we understand what it means. Hope is is confident expectation of something that is to come. A Confident expectation of something that is to come. And blessed. It's not about finding $20 in a sidewalk. That's not a blessing. A blessing is deep, abiding, communing relationship with God. Whenever you see blessing in Scripture, that's what it's talking about seeing more of the character of God, having your own will, your own heart changed so that you can connect with God in a deeper, more beautiful, more meaningful way. When somebody at, there's a lady at Walgreens, I talk about her all the time. Whenever I, I pay for my stuff and walk out, she says, have a blessed day. Someday I'm gonna stop and say, what do you mean when you tell me that? Have a blessed day. Because ultimately, sickness or the death of someone or whatever could be a blessing. If it reveals the true character and nature of, of God, it's a blessing. Christ return, we are waiting for our blessed hope. This confident expectation that one day we will enjoy a communing, abiding relationship with God affected only by the goodness of God. Man, that's gotta put a huge smile on your face. Breathe it in deep because the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, when I'm sick, uh, I, I get sick, and, and most of the time when I get sick, it's, it's like a congestion in my head which makes my head really hurt and throb, and I can't think clearly. And and I also have this I can't breathe, so I've got to breathe through my mouth. It's really hard to go to sleep because it just you've you've probably been there before when you're trying to go to sleep and it's your your head is throbbing and you can't breathe, you have to breathe through your mouth, and it's just it's just hard to go to sleep. And and because you're breathing through your mouth all the time, because there's just this mucus that's built up, nothing even tastes good. Just the all of your senses, your 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 hearing, your smell, your taste, your touch, all those things are numbed. And I want to say to us that in those moments when we experience the the numbness of of sense, that is like what it's going to be when we receive this blessed hope. Because at this current stage, at this current setting of, of who we are, being affected by good and being affected by evil, there will be a day where we are unobstructed in our view of God. And just like we're unable to breathe well when we're sick, just like we're unable to think well when we're sick, just like we're unable to taste well and touch, and all of our senses are numb, what we feel in our healthiest of days here is going to be like that when we experience and, and, and taste with intensity. Intensity. And see and feel with intensity. That's the beauty of what is to come with this blessed hope that Paul talks about in Titus. And it's, it's brilliant of, of what we will experience in this blessing. But the hope part of it, the confident expectation. Um, one of the things for me, I, I don't know if you're like me, I think, I think most people are. I think even it's probably God-placed that we have this I have at least, and I haven't really talked to people about this, asked this question, maybe we can talk about it later, is I have this innate thing within me that, that really just wants to look forward to something. Um, I'm always looking two weeks, three weeks, a month into the future about what's to come. For all of like 2008 and half of 2009, I was looking forward to a week that I got to spend with my wife on our 10th anniversary in Mexico. Uh, we went to an all-inclusive resort in Mexico, and I was really excited, and I looked forward for like a year and a half to this thing, and I looked forward to it greatly, and it was great. It was a great time, but it ended, and it, it, it wasn't, it, it was great in some ways and not as great in some ways as, as I look forward to it being, and in, in 39 days, I'm going to turn 40 years old in the, the great city of Las Vegas, Nevada. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait. Very excited about it. Um. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to that, but the fact is I'll be there from February 3rd to February 7th. And no matter if it lives up to every expectation that I have for it, February the 7th is still coming and I got to get on a plane and come back home. Uh, I've also, I'm going to be looking forward to that a lot in the coming weeks because uh, some of you guys know the other job that I have is, is, is an insurance guy and uh, working for my dad. And my dad is going to Florida for three months, which means I have a lot more hours and a lot more uh, responsibility that's happening. And so I'll have—it's going to be a rough three months of, of just a lot of work for, for me. But in the midst of that, in the middle of that time, is when I get to go to Vegas. And then towards the end of that time, my parents are—, are inviting my whole family to go down to, to go to Disney World and to go to some spring training games. So I got those two things to look forward to, to get me through those three difficult months of, of added responsibility. And I, I say all of that to connect our hearts in this current age with this blessed hope that is to come. We have this difficult thing, but we look forward to this confident expectation that we will have an unobstructed and Intensified senses of just being and abiding and communing with this beautiful and perfect God This is the beauty of the saying that i'm i'm calling us to that that it will never ever end What you I want to ask you guys a question What's what's something that you guys are looking forward to right now? Think about something that you're looking forward to Ultimately Whatever it is that that you're looking forward to may or may not disappoint you, but it will end. Whatever it is will end. It will be destroyed. It will be exhausted. Something will happen, and and whatever it is that you're looking forward to will come to a conclusion. But the beauty of this thing that, that we're trying to connect with here, this blessed hope that I'm calling us to look forward to is that it will never end. We will enjoy God forever, totally unobstructed by sin, affected only by good. We will live in inexhaustible perfection. Breathe that phrase in. We will live in inexhaustible perfection. I'm really enjoying. The, the facial interaction I'm getting with some of you, the, just the, the smiles, the, the beauty of, of what's happening, of, of what we will experience. The fifth thing, the last thing, it will be to restore us. Uh, there's a, a pain and hurt and difficulty and tragedy that's all over our world, all over our lives. Physical, emotional, spiritual pain, and it often prevails and often wins out and dictates how we respond to situations and circumstances in this world. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. I have a, an old friend. I haven't seen him in seven or eight years, uh, but he's actually really good friends with my brother. My brother was telling me the story today, or yesterday, and uh, his mom is battling dementia. His mom's like 75, but she's really battling dementia, and, and every day is worse than the day before. And, uh, his stepdad, her, his mom's new husband, is battling cancer, and the doctors are giving him like a month to live. Uh, this, this is just a, a tragic story. Uh, he's the 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 dad is in uh, going to get treatment for his cancer, and uh, he he goes every week to get treatment for his cancer, and he's got like a month to live, and. This guy's mom is battling dementia. And so he's supposed, he's supposed to be gone for like two and a half hours on this uh, this this treatment thing. And she, his mom calls her husband and says, where are you, on the cell phone. And he obviously can't pick up his cell phone and leaves a message, where are, where are you, where are you, where are you. Half hour later, she forgets again. She calls him up, where are you, where are you, where are you? Where are you? This happens like five or six times. And on the sixth time, she's just out of her mind, nuts, because he's supposed to be home in her mind. And she's screaming and yelling, accusing him of having an affair, because her mind is just that gone. And so this is the the tragic world that she has to live in. And the tragic world that she has to live in paints and dictates how she responds to her circumstances. And for the the husband, he knows he's not, probably not going to see February, and the last month of his life is spent with a wife that is just gone. And imagine the, the pain and tragedy this guy has to, has to experience and has to feel. And how that, these things have to dictate how he responds to stuff that happens around him and on, on this earth and in this planet. It's, it's tragic. But the beauty is the second coming of Christ is coming to restore us all. All that pain all that difficulty, all that tragedy is, is gone. Philippians 3. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior. Pray that that phrase echoes in your brain throughout the rest of the day, and even all of 2011, we await a Savior. We await a Savior. If you walk out of this, this place this morning with that phrase echoing in your brain and all the, the awful grossness I talk about at the beginning of the the, the wicked vengeance of the Lord and all of the, the beauty of restoration and the beauty of the blessed hope and all those things, if those things ring in your brain when you think about awaiting a savior, our personal advent, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who will transform our lowly body. The cancer won't even be a word. Dementia won't even be a word. Will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. By the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Christ holds this power and one day he's coming back and we await that day here on this planet in this moment awaiting that Savior to come and restore all things. He has the power. He holds it in his hands and he waits. 1 Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you by the revelation of Christ. Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of God is with man man don't don't pass up these beautiful phrases the dwelling place of God is with man that's really good news this God who allows us to only be affected by good and restore us and throw away everything that's evil and bad and disrupts us from intimate communication, abiding relationship with him. This God, his dwelling place is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I think about my friend's mom and stepdad. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I think about some difficult situations that have been a part of me in 2010 and been a part of you guys in 2010. The tears that have been wept. Coming is a day where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death is... "...shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new." These two phrases reverberate in our brains we await a Savior who says, Behold, I am making all things new. Let's pray. Father God, I don't even know what to pray this morning other than just be with us. Allow us to inhale, breathe in deep the promises and the beauty of your Scripture, God. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his first coming that we've celebrated this month, Father. We thank you for the blessed hope that is to come with his return that we've celebrated this morning. God, guide our hearts and our minds as we seek to respond to you in these moments in a In an honest way, Father, we thank you for Jesus in his perfect and powerful name that I pray. Amen.